0: vibes welcome 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 to stock market live the show where you interact with us we are breaking down the overall market we are diving into a stock today and we are so glad that you are joining us welcome to everyone everyone's coming in i see some familiar faces in here welcome i'm daniel snyder as you know i'm joined by awesome hankwitz and the one the only mike saul is joining us again this week from what's happening in the stock market with mike saul is making his guest introduction we've got mark we've got kevin we got jorge we got john jorge you're back again sam we got wendy joining us everyone welcome to the show just a reminder this is a show where we ask that you interact with us if you have questions if you have thoughts leave them in the chat we're going to get to them in real time as we're talking and discussing everything today now why don't we dive right in We've got a lot of stuff coming up. It is Fed Day, everybody, FOMC Fed Day. And we get the honor of being with you this hour before this afternoon when, I don't know, do we see a, a, a rip to the upside? Do we see a drop to the downside? Your guess is as good as mine. But before we do all that, Mike, why don't you go ahead and walk us through what do you see in the overall market on the charts?
1: Okay, so if we take a look at the S and P 500. First of all, glad to be here, everybody. Good afternoon, and hi to everybody. Okay, let me just move this out of the way. So let's take a look at what happened. We broke down through this trend line. We came shy of this gap fill here. This is the S. Okay, this is the S and P 500. I'm looking at it using the SPY. You can use whatever you want, whatever index you like to use, or whatever ETF you like to use. The SPY is the Uh, the biggest volume ETF. So that's the one I'm using. Okay, great. So we broke through the, the trend line here that was trying its best to hold as support. And we fell just shy of the gap fill here at 378.57. We'll let uh, Daniel do the Fibonacci stuff. Uh, I just have the 50% Fibonacci stuff. But this to me looks like we are trying to coil up here and that we should continue lower. Um, Of course, there's a big shh in front of should, right? There is no guarantee that we're going to uh, continue lower. And we could bounce first, right? I have a couple of different scenarios. Now, if you notice on this chart... I have this little, okay, so let's go over the the key, first of all, to everybody who understand it. So this blue line is the 50-day moving average. The black line is the 200-day moving average. They're both much-watched moving averages, okay? And therefore, people are watching them. I want to watch them, okay? I don't believe they're magic or anything like that, but they're fantastic reference points. And you can see how they, especially with something like the S&P 500, how they like to hold these levels and test these levels. This pink or I don't know uh whatever color this is, th- this math is just 20% off the lows of the year. Why am I putting 20% off the lows of the year? Because I want to uh see what is officially, right or I'm sorry, not officially what is the rule of thumb use for the bear market is over right? So they say 20% off the lows means the bear market is over. Again, not going to go into this now. I've gone into it way too many times. It's just the rule of thumb. I don't think 20% off the highs or 20% off the lows uh, is how you should judge a bull or a bear market. Regardless, I want to look at what everybody else is looking at. We never made it to that 43460 number. Okay. Now, what is this 20-day highs? Well, there is a short-term trend, that if the S&P 500 is not trading at 20-day highs into the Fed meeting, it is bullish. It is a short-term signal. It does has no long-term forecasting power, okay? It is not 100%, but it's pretty high up there. I believe, I don't quote me on this, it's in like the 80s percentile. So you could see we're getting a small bounce today, uh, I think there's a high opportunity that will bounce after the Fed announcement, especially if they announce three quarters of a point, because that'll be what everybody's expecting. There won't be any surprise and people go, hey, they did what they were supposed to do. They did what they said they were going to do. Right. Uh, but again, I don't have any long term forecasting power on this 20 day high deal. So to recap on the downside, 378.57 on the upside. We have, uh, you know, Daniel will probably go over this gap live and talk about this then. So that's the S&P 500. Do you want to take it from me And do you want me to go through all three? Now? Go ahead and rock us through the cues. Okay, here's the cues. Also, broke through the trend line, this time on a on a pretty nice size gap. Again, the cues are how I watch the NASDAQ. I watch the NASDAQ 100 uh, rather than the Nasdaq Composite, you could do whatever you want, but I, I like using the cues here. And also, there's a gap filled here at 287.56. Unlike the S&P, which didn't hit its gap from back here, the Nasdaq actually tested its gap and is holding. It's consolidating here. To me, this looks like we're going lower, just like the S&P 500. That doesn't mean we can't get a bounce before then. And then the final chart is the Russell. So the Russell, we had this trend line projected last week, it wasn't yet tested, we came down, we tested it, and so far we're trying to hold on with everything we got. This is the small caps. Why are the small caps important? Well, the small caps are, you know, probably the micro caps are the most speculative, but we thats we didn't really chart that index. So as far as the major indexes, the small caps are the most speculative right? They haven't been fully established yet. I, I heard somebody once say it. Yet. I mean, they're real companies and, you know, some of them actually make money. So it's not like they're just, uh, you know, they're not like their penny stocks or or shell companies, right? But they're the small cap indexes. And when we see strength in that, that means there is a higher appetite for risk. Uh, the fact that the Russell is holding relative strength-wise, not really showing us much here, uh, they're not saying, oh, look how strong the Russell is. No, it, it The Russell just seems to be a little bit stronger than the broad market. That's all. I don't think there's any forecasting power here, but it is holding this trend line right now. So if it were to break below it, Daniel would probably go over those levels. But right now, as long as this holds, want to watch to see the upside here for a gap or uh, a potential retest of the 50-day moving average. So that's what I'm looking at for the three major indexes. I don't do the Dow, by the way. You can do the Dow if you want. I think you get a better read by using the S&P 500. And it's the index that the institutions and the funds benchmark against. They don't benchmark against the Dow unless they're a Dow fund, which they're a handful of or whatever, right? But mostly everybody else, they want to know what are you doing against the S&P 500? You know, I don't think 30 stocks are really a good example of what's going on in the market. It's a media um, index, right? Because you can use big numbers like 30,000. You can use big numbers like that, right? But uh, otherwise, I like to use the S&P 500 for the broad market feel.
0: Yeah. Great overview, Mike. Uh, Josh, okay, thanks for the chart off. And now, I wanted to switch things up a little bit because we've been getting feedback about people going through over the gaps and Fibonacci's, and they haven't been really able to follow along. So we're going to try something new this week where we're actually going to do some live charting in real time. So here we go. Let's get started with the SPY as Mike was pointing out. Now, this is a two-year, one-day chart. Let me point out a few things real quick. We, of course, have the 200-day moving to average as the red line The 100 is the green line. The 50 is this uh, beige line. And then we got a 20-day moving average as well, which is the blue line. What is this dotted line I have down here at the bottom? Well, that is pre-COVID highs. And that's something that I've been watching uh, watching for a long time for a level of possible retracements of tests. But time will tell, of course. We have our downtrend lines, which has been our bear market that we've been following. Of course, buying at the bottom and selling at the top has been working so far this year. Not guaranteeing that it's going to continue, but let's zoom in a little bit and start looking at some of these gaps as Mike was talking about. And, and Daniel, I mean, not
2: to interrupt you real quick, but yeah. I, I think it's also really important for the 40, several I'm um, hundreds of people that are going to watch this to know what kind of software you're using as you're charting. So uh, do you mind adding a little bit of color on like the software, maybe the name of it? And can maybe like just, just more information about it? I'd be really curious personally. Very like, sure, awesome. yeah.
0: So you can use all sorts of different types of charting software. You know, there's TradingView, there's, there's web-based platforms, there's still desktop-based platforms. I personally got familiar with Thinkorswim Uh, years ago. And that's kind of what I've used ever since it has a lot of the functionality of indicators that I use. um, And I like to do the candlesticks, you can do all sorts of different things. So there's monkey bars, there's all sorts of different uh, trading systems out there or not trading systems, sorry, charting systems out there. Um, Wide charts is another one that people like to use, you can actually go on seeking alpha and go to symbol pages and use charting uh, through I believe we have it's wide charts, I believe that is within the, the symbol pages that you can mess around with the indicators and everything that I'm doing here, you can replicate. You can replicate it yourself. So we're just kind of highlighting some things for you. Um, but obviously, last week's episode, I talked about the gap. We talked about levels to watch when we come to gaps. So I have a gap here below the market. This is the S&P 500, the SPY ETF, as Mike was talking about. And right here below the market, there is a gap that I'm watching to see if we have a sell-off. I'm expecting either the top of the gap or the bottom of the gap to be resistance levels. So that might be an option for me to go in and you know, if I'm buying a vertical put spread, that might be an, uh, an exit price for me that I might want to watch. Um, I would see how the price action follows through at that moment. So that's just a little bit of the trading side of things. But obviously we have these huge, this huge, here, I'm gonna show you what I'm doing here. So we have not only the first gap that happened right here, let me go to my rectangle here. We had our first gap when we had a gap up day but then we had the massive gap down. I believe that was inflation report CPI data that when that came out. Um, of course, we saw the market tank. We had another gap down here. Of course, we say 80% of the time gaps fill, and there was actually a gap fill here as well. So it's kind of something that you can look at. You see the Fibonacci retracement level right here, 0. 0.618. It broke a gap down under, went back up to retest that level. And we've been kind of trading sideways, waiting to get into the FOMC meeting here today. And of course, we're all expecting a pretty dramatic move either to the upside or downside from this report today. Um, Personally, my opinion, right? These are all just my opinion, not investment advice. Personally, we might see a little bit of a rip today because people have gotten so bearish um, Mm -hmm. going into Mm -hmm. this Fed meeting. So we've got gaps above the market. We've got gaps below the market. It's not the best looking chart. Moving on to the Qs. The tech sector, obviously, two-year, one-day, we had the massive run-up through COVID. We've had the pullback of the bear market. Let's zoom in here. We've got a pretty um, pretty, you know, established downtrend line. That 200-day moving average is just falling like a rock here in the tech sector. We do have a gap here above the market. Those are some levels I would be watching, but I would be also watching this white trend line here. Here, I'll make it a little bit thicker for everybody so you can see it. This white trend line has been a pretty... Uh, you know, reoccurring point of resistance along the way as the market has been falling. So if I'm looking for this gap fill, I would also be seeing, OK, well, not only is there a potential, you know, resistant point here at the lines up with the 50 percent uh, Fibonacci level, but then I've got another resistance level with the downtrend line and then another resistance level here at the top of the gap. So definitely an area that I'd be saying, OK, if I'm bullish here, maybe I buy and I start watching these resistance levels. Here to see how the market reacts once we get to those. And then lastly, getting to the Russell IWM, there is a huge gap way back here. What is this? This is from November of 2020, a huge gap in the Russell um, that has just been established. And that's why we say, you know, 80% of the time gaps fill. There's no time frame on them filling. Sometimes it's a gap and go. This might have been a gap and go, but now that we're getting back closer down to this level is something that I want to make sure that I keep my eyes on. Um, Now, Fibonacci real quick, just to point it out. So what do I do when I do my Fibonacci drawings? Let me go ahead and remove this. I'll just show you real quick. Grab my Fibonacci tool. I take a recent low and I take it to the most recent high. And that gives me my Fibonacci levels that I like to watch for resistance and support. Obviously, on the way up, we have resistance one, resistance pretty much two. Got just a little short there, but came through, broke through on the third time, heading to the upside And now that we're coming back down, boom, support off of it, back to the up, hitting support. And we're kind of trading here today. And obviously, if the market doesn't go the way that we want it to today, we could very easily just see a straight break to the downside where I would start watching this next level down here. So something to keep an eye on there. But also, got to point out, there's a gap above the market. There's a gap across all these indices above the market. Um, So just something to be mindful of. And that's kind of the overview of the market. Not to mention here. Let's take a quick look at the VIX. Why do we watch the VIX? Volatility index tells us about what's going on in the option markets and where we uh, might go. Um, gap below on the VIX, which is just a volatility indicator. You know, we don't want to say, "Oh, go trade the VIX." Blah, blah blah. It's just something to look at, something to help us prepare for what might happen. And the reoccurring theme this year, which you may have heard, um, you know, is the average of the VIX. I-, I think it was Nick Colas who told us back in March on and Bite. He was like, the average of the VIX for the long-term mean is 20, okay? So 20, and then you have your first standard deviation move up to number 28. So that's something that you see. You see resistance points time and time again. Obviously, we can go back and look at the VIX. You know, September 11th went up to 44. Great financial crisis has a huge move. COVID pandemic. I mean, it's all here. You can go back and study this historically to see the volatility of the market during times of turbulence and bear markets and events. Um, So right now we're kind of hugging the 28 one first standard deviation. We very well might. I mean, we're having to pull back down to 26 today. That might pull back if the market goes and likes what the Fed has to say today. We might see this pull back to the the gap fill there. Um, But time will tell. So, anyways, let's keep the show moving. I hope that helps everyone. Let me know in the chat if you still have questions about gap fills. If you have questions about Fibonacci, if you uh, have any questions about the VIX, we are here to help. But I want to keep the show moving. We got, to, we, got, we got something great. We got something great planned. A new segment. A new segment where, and I got to give Austin the credit to this. Austin was like, you know what? What if we did like an initial thought? Let's bring some headline news and hear what your thoughts are. We're reading about this stuff all the time. And sometimes gut feelings tell you a lot. So Austin, I got to ask you, you brought three items for me today about initial thoughts. I've got three items for you. Why don't you go ahead and kick off this awesome new segment?
2: Absolutely. So really excited about this because the whole deal is, you know, we, we see everything li- li- like Daniel just said. We see these headlines. We see the commentators on CNBC have their hot takes. We have people online tell us what to think. But to Daniel's point, kind of that gut feeling is what gets us moving in an up or, you know, bullish or bearish like we're left or right. What's going on? So Daniel, I've got three things I want to present for you. Three things that uh, I have my own opinions on, but I'll put that for the side for a moment so you can give me yours. First thing that I want to get your thoughts on, Daniel, is Adobe buying Figma for $20 billion. Are you excited about it or is it weird to you?
0: It's a little weird. They, they massively overpriced it. However, this is totally a move of trying to take away your competition. And the leverage here, being a creator myself, is the platforms that Adobe is known for, the, the software has to move to be a web base, And I think Figma figured it out and Adobe saw that as a threat. And that's why they were like, we need to get rid of them because if we don't, who knows if they're going to do video editing next on there. I mean, they already got Illustrator, Photoshop, it's all done in Figma. They had to do it. They had to do it, but they massively overpaid.
2: And to add more color to being massively overpaid, I think it was, uh, so Figma is going to do I think it's $400 billion in ARR next year, and they paid $20 billion for the company. So, I mean, like you can imagine the multiple on that 50X, 100X uh, revenue this year. It's, it's insane. So, I, I totally agree with you right there. Next thing I want to get your, your take on is Patagonia is giving away their company. What's up with that? Is that weird? Is that cool? What do you think about it, Daniel?
0: I think it's awesome, personally. Um, maybe this is biased because my wife works in the nonprofit world and helps out nonprofits. I mean, this is a tremendous move. We're seeing, you know, all the billionaires of the world signing their wealth mandates that they're giving away to nonprofits. I think this is an interesting angle. Not to mention the PR that got picked up with it. Um, Patagonia is well known worldwide. I think this could be the start of trend something because typically you think about some companies just give away stock to nonprofits. That is a whole thing now. You can donate your stock shares instead of donating money. And this guy was just like, you know what? I don't know if he has family issues. I mean, I don't know if it's a, it's a scenario of succession. Who knows, right? But this is like something that it'd be cool to see as a trend, but I, I wouldn't expect it to happen again.
2: I like that. And my last thing I want to get your hot take on is I was filling up my gas tank over the weekend. And I took a picture of this and put it on Twitter. The Shell station down the road from me has gas at two ninety nine dollars a gallon. Just a couple of months ago, it was above five. What, what's going on here? We, we're draining our reserves. What do you think about gas being at two ninety nine a gallon, and how do you think that impacts, or perhaps might not impact, the midterm elections right around the corner?
0: Man, this this one is hard, right? So, as you mentioned, they're draining the reserves. I, I saw just the other day we're back down to levels in nineteen eighty four. Um, that's a little worrying. That's not sustainable, and. We don't know when Russia and Ukraine, the whole war, is going to end. We don't know if we can, you know, be buddy buddy with the Saudis and all the transition that's happening. We we hear about oil forex markets and China and Russia want to settle outside of U.S. dollar. There's so much going on here. It's totally a midterm play, right? I'm not sure it's sustainable. I would expect to probably see gas prices rise. I don't want that to happen, but that's kind of what I would expect. And that's right there take. with you, right there with you.
2: Um, yeah, it, it was really weird for me to see that, right? $2.99 a gallon. I mean, just, I, I, I what was it, three months ago now, four months ago, we were talking about what was gas going to hit 6 $7 a gallon. I was seeing people give away gas and buy people's gasoline. And it was, I mean, there's, there's marketing campaigns uh, that were happening around giving people money for gas every month. And now it's like, well, we're back to normal again, just in time, conveniently for the midterm elections. Uh, and to your point, yeah, the, to the 1980s, I mean, it's been several decades since we've been this low from the reserves, So it's very, uh, very timely to say the least.
0: Not to mention that the reserves were established for times of war. Right. And I don't want to be super bearish and bring up war talk and everything. But if something were to happen with, say, Taiwan and China and the U.S. has to intervene based off of Biden's comments the other night. um, Hello, we're going to need oil and gas. And are we going to be able to pump it like crazy out of the ground or are we going to have to touch the reserves? So just something to keep in mind. We got to be careful here with that one. All right. Thank you for bringing three. I've got three for you, though. Let's hear it. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Ready. First up, I saw this the other day. I want to hear your take. Peloton just re- released a rowing machine. They did the bike. They did the treadmill. And now it's rowing. I mean, so I have it here. The price tag is going to be $3,195, which includes delivery and setup. Pre- pre-orders in the U.S. start immediately. Is this bullish? Is this bearish? Is this even worth it?
2: It's not worth it, in my opinion. I mean, if we take a back track and think about what Peloton was doing and how I thought Peloton was going to be able to grow as a business, and it was going to be those corporate offices, it was going to be those uh, you know, gyms on college campuses, it was going to be the hotels, like that, in my opinion, was how Peloton was going to grow from a selling equipment perspective. But then also the recurring revenue was cool. They had a really cool model around that. But no one's really excited about using a Peloton anymore. I've got a buddy that's got one. He puts his coat on it every single day. That's his new coat hanger. Um, and now you're asking people to pay $3,100 for a rowing machine. I understand the the different kind of you know trying to offer different equipment and products to people from different types of uh, demographics. But I just think a $3,100 rowing machine doesn't make sense for anybody, especially while everyone's getting laid off. Macroeconomic uncertainty is all over the place. And the loans, I, I know they've got this whole Affirm thing going on with four equal payments. But- I would imagine that there's something to do with uh, credit card debt and things of that nature that would make this a lot harder to, uh, to purchase than, than people might think.
0: Yeah, not to mention the Peloton founders left, right? Yeah, I mean, the where they go? What's going on with trying that? Trying to figure out what to do next. All right, so next up, YouTube Shorts. Uh, Google just put this out. They announced that they're switching over to a revenue model for running ads within YouTube Shorts. We talked about Google a while ago on a couple episodes back. Being a content creator yourself, what do you think about this?
2: Uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, So uh, first thing I think about Reddit is TikTok. And we all know how TikTok makes their money. You're scrolling your For You page. You see an ad pop up. If it's a promoted video, someone who's already posted to the uh, app of TikTok and they're trying to get more views on that video, you can promote it. It's called Spark Ads. Or if it's a straight up advertisement that is being done by a company, right? So we've seen that as well. But um, the first thing I think about when we have revenue models like this published is how TikTok, I want to say it was maybe nine months ago I read this, but they're crushing it from a revenue perspective. They're ad revenues through the roof. They're, I mean, this company, I think if you kind of put the same uh, valuation model that Twitter had uh, from a, I, th- I think it was a, a a revenue multiple, uh, TikTok would be a 60, 70, $80 billion company, right? And so if Google is doing the same thing as it relates to this ad revenue model and allowing creators to not just monetize, but um, monetize in a way that's meaningful for them and also give businesses the opportunity to get in front of now these billions of views that are being happening on the, on the YouTube shorts, I think that's a great idea. I am long-term bullish on YouTube. I'm long-term bullish on content creators. And because of that, I'm long-term bullish on Google.
0: I want to ask you though about, so they put it out. You have to have a thousand subscribers and 10 million short views in 90 days Ads run on the feed between the videos. And at the end of the month, the revenue is added up and distributed based on the share of total short views. Is that, do you think that's fair?
2: I do. I do. I think a thousand subscribers on YouTube shorts is really easy. You just have to post videos. Um, They have a really good uh, way of getting your content in front of people. I was able to get, um, I was I was I I hit that threshold very easily. Right. And I think a lot of content creators are sort of juggling this. Well, where do I post? Can I get views? Can I get subscribers? Do I get likes or comments? How do I grow? I feel like they made this competitive enough where people say, OK, you can't just spam content. We're going to pay you for spam content. But they also made it easy enough for people to say, yeah, I can hit a thousand. I can get 10 million views. I just got to post once or twice a day. Things are cool. I think it's very fair. Uh, Makes a lot of sense for all parties involved.
0: All right. And last up, it was just announced NASDAQ is launching a digital asset unit to offer Bitcoin and Ethereum custody. And Bitcoin has been hovering around this 18 to 20,000 range. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin here in this news?
2: So I would be very surprised if we saw Bitcoin not move down a little bit more, right? I here's the thing with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, things of that nature. It's fun. It's active. It's sexy. It's a way to make a lot of money in a short period of time. But It's also a way to lose a lot of money in a short period of time. Uh, for me, cryptocurrency makes up between 10 and maybe 15% on a good day of my overall portfolio and in, in liquid assets. But I'm not over here getting excited about a uh, digital asset custody with Nasdaq and Bitcoin. I would argue that people who are going to be participating in this are folks who um, might be laggards might not already understand that you can go buy Bitcoin on Binance. You can go buy Bitcoin on uh, Gemini or Coinbase or things of that nature. I think FTX also has like, a custody thing for institutions. Like, I feel like there's a lot of ways to do this. And, and I feel like there's kind of this burnt out feeling of, yeah, wait for the institutions to get in here. We'll get the institutions in. We're all going to the moon. It's like, man, they've been here for a while, right? And sure, you can get it on NASDAQ or you can get it on these different places. But um, I, I just don't think there's, there's going to be a big like it's not a monumental moment, in my opinion, for Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll look back at this in several months or several years. And be like, wow, was I wrong? But um, I'm, just, I'm just not too gung-ho crazy about, about this happening.
0: Yeah, you make a good point. Because obviously, we heard about the correlation a while back between Bitcoin's price and the NASDAQ. And it's like, that doesn't happen with just retail. The institutions have been here for a while, right? I mean, it's, it's nothing new. All right. So that's your take. That's my take. That is initial thoughts. I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. Let us know in the chat what you think. Obviously, Sammy's been blowing up the chat. We see he, uh he says gas prices were high mainly because of refiner shortages. There was that issue. Yes, not all because oil prices. That is part of the story. It is part of the story. But he also says 60 40 portfolios is down 15% already year to date. So, where do we hide? How about money market, mutual funds, gold? What is your comment? Mike, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, just, I mean, it's our opinions. It's not an investment advice. Yeah. Is there anywhere to hide?
1: no there's nowhere to hide right we went uh i said this weeks ago we went from a tina well yeah we went from a tina market there is no alternative to a nth market nowhere to hide um this is reminds me of the great financial crisis where everything was kind of getting swept down except for bonds at the time uh but now um look i don't think we should all move into a cave and just or bury our money in the backyard once of course you wrap it nicely otherwise it'll just uh, the mold will get to it, right? But anyway, but um I, I think that right now, and this can go against a lot of people's charter, right, a lot of people's personal investing charter, I think it's a short-term market. Now, I don't mean you have to scalp. I don't mean you have to be in front of the computer all the time and day train and stuff like that. But I think it's more of a... Let's watch for key levels. Let's see what the price action is off of it. Let's take a position based on that. And then let's look to head for the doors in a couple of weeks. Right. Uh, Maybe a short term swing trade is, is more appropriate than, okay, now is the time to back up the truck and get in, right. They say, don't buy bonds until they stop raising rates until the recession hits. Then it's the time to buy bonds. Right. So again, uh, I'm very hesitant to commit to the long term right now. But that doesn't mean that there can't be moves over the next several weeks, several months. But as far as, hey, it's time to to back up the truck and here's what we're going to do. I, I just don't see it right now. You know, gold is getting hit. Uh, silver is showing some relative strength, but good luck trying to get it. And that's a, a real killer of, of accounts. Silver can really uh knock you around unless you're using a cash account and it can only go to zero which it's probably not going to do but you know if you're trying to trade futures or use leverage for silver it's it's can it's knocked out a lot of uh a lot of professionals um and what are you going to do the euro is getting hit bonds are continuing to get hit so yeah i mean i hate to be i, I don't mean to sound like a debbie downer or a, a mikey downer I need a new M word to line with Mikey. But uh, I don't, uh, and so I'm not saying there's not going to be opportunities on the long side here. Just stay out, stay away. No, but you may want to shorten your time horizon for the time being, uh, even if it's down from several years to several months to several weeks until something better sets up. That's my opinion, but I'm sure Austin uh, may have a different one.
2: No, I think you're right on the money there, Mike. I think what's, um, and and I'm sort of doing that myself. I think I shared with you all last week that I was doing some put options and they had absolutely printed. Uh, I've been kind of day trading call options and put options, trying to look at this technical analysis stuff, seeing momentum. And I actually have call options today going into this meeting. So I'm crossing my fingers. Everyone here is right about a rip to the upside. Um, but, but with that being said, I think it's really important too, Sammy, to be thinking about your long-term investing goals as well as like there's tons of companies, in my opinion, right now that are sort of in these accumulation phases where they're sort of crabbing back and forth from a stock price perspective that, in my humble opinion, um, will be doing incredibly well in the next, call it two, three, four years, right? If that's flipping free cash flow positive for the first time or adjusted EBITDA positive for the first time, things of that nature, Uh, there's a lot of things to uh, get excited about. So um, some of that is in cybersecurity. Uh, some of that might be a company we're talking about here pretty soon uh, called Boeing. There's just a lot of things that, in my opinion, where I'm, again, 26 years old, I'm, I'm, a very, um, I, I'm, I'm very happy with taking on risk at this age. So things that, that, that I'm doing might not apply to you. But I think, uh, to Mike's point, we're in a very choppy, scalpy market. And beyond these sort of accumulation stocks that I'm trying to move some money into – I'm mainly, you know, doing little scalp things here, little day trades here, but mostly in cash. I've been piling cash since year to date, uh, something that, that we've been talking about for the last several weeks now. And I think it's very important to be able to, um, you know, kind of keep that in mind as, as we move back down lower uh, potentially.
0: Or, I mean, take a little bit of cash. This is what I personally want to do is take a little cash and scale in slowly into positions that I want to hold for the long-term, like you were talking about with my, long time, my long-term time, my long time horizon. Um, we all know dollar is king. I mean, dollar's been ripping at the upside. Inflation numbers are still wobbly and the Fed has to continue to raise interest rates. So it's like most people don't feel like it, the selling might stop until the Fed stops raising rates. So I think that, I mean, everybody's watching that, right? And now it's just kind of like, no one's going to perfectly call the bottom. So this is why I'd take the scale factor approach, unless you're in the option market like Austin and you're playing the puts in the, the calls. Um, I'm more of a vertical spread guy myself. It just helps me handle the risk and that's what I do. So now let's get in to the stock of the week. This one actually came via email, stockmarketlive at seekingalpha.com. Send over your stock ideas if you want us to do a little deep dive. This one came from Christian Rayner, who is joining us again this week. Christian, we see you over there. Say hello in the chat. Give a little shout out to Christian, everybody, for pitching this stock. He sent over a couple, but we picked one. And this one, this one goes way back. This is a super old stock. This not just been way back, but 100 years back,
2: Daniel. That's way, 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 way,
0: back. way back. I mean, that's like, whew, I don't know, great-grandfather maybe from my side. I'm not sure. It goes way back. I mean, so if we're talking about 100 years, so this stock was – It was there. I mean, think about 1920, the stock market crash. Ooh, survived. Think about all the world wars, Cold War, then through the October 1987 debacle, 2011, COVID, GFC. The stock has gone through it all. Austin, I got to ask you, what is this stock? What are we looking at today? The stock we're looking
2: at today is an 85 billion dollar aerospace and defense company that goes by the name of Boeing, ticker symbol BA. And to you know to Daniel's point like I'm not the most familiar with this company's past. They've been on the stock market now for more than 30 years, uh, and they've, they've they've been around for more than 100 years, right? Like it's 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 very insane how old this company is. They've been going up and down uh, for, for more than uh, a century. So I guess what we're talking about here, though, is I want to be able to bring you the highlights, the lowlights, and give you enough information on this company to at least feel dangerous in a conversation and give you the ability to say, okay, that was an interesting tidbit of information that he mentioned. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into that. I'm going to go read that earnings call. I'm going to read that 10Q, or that 10K, right? It's not financial advice. We're just here to give you the tools and resources so we can go make some educated decisions and take that curiosity to the next level. So let's kick it off. Um, who's Boeing, right? Who, who is Boeing? What do they do? How do they make money? I got you. You ready? Have you guys ever heard of airplanes? Right. That, that, that's Boeing. Right. They design, develop, manufacture, sell, service and support commercial jetliners, military aircraft, missile defense, human spaceflight and launch systems. They operate in four main business segments. The first one's called commercial airplanes. The second is defense, space and security. The third is global services. And the fourth is Boeing Capital. Now, what I want to do first is walk through each of those business segments one by one. So starting with commercial airplanes segment, they're the world's leading producer of commercial aircrafts, including 747s, 767s, 777s, and even those big 787s. If you've flown on an airplane at some point in your life, chances are you are on one of these airplanes. Flipping now to the defense space and security, uh, it's a bit sexier, right? This is the research development production of Manned and Unmanned military aircrafts, and weapon systems. And as you can imagine, this business's primary customer is the U.S. Department of Defense, uh, which accounted for about 85% of total revenue that this business segment had made in 2021. Uh, Their global services business segment is pretty straightforward. They offer supply chain and logistics management and maintenance to companies all around the globe. And finally, their Boeing capital business segment is actually kind of smart. Uh, It's a little addition to their portfolio. Not only does Boeing make and sell these aircrafts, but they also offer the financing for them. So they make a little bit more money on the back end. Pretty cool. So when analyzing the company, the first thing that came to mind is, do they have competition? Well, Absolutely, they have competition. The company claims the largest global competitor or their largest global competitor is Airbus with Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon Technologies and General Dynamics and SpaceX all being the biggest competition here in the United States, right? That was Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, uh, Raytheon Technologies, General Dynamics and SpaceX despite this competition though Boeing still makes billions of dollars per year in revenue so in 2021 the company generated 62.2 billion in revenue which was up from 58.1 in 2020. okay cool make a little bit of bump there 10 billion dollar or not even was that a four billion dollar bump but you know that's also down from 76 billion in 2021. I'm sorry 2019 rather typo uh, on this 2021 revenue this 62.2 billion the company reported a loss of 2.9 billion. Uh, which is up from a loss of $12.7 billion last year, but uh, it's still operating out of the same similar $2 billion loss that they had in 2019, right? So we saw 2019 be sort of decent, and then 2020 came for their throats, like a lot of other businesses, but now they're kind of climbing out of this hole. So what's the good news? What's, what's getting us excited about Boeing? A few things. Uh, first one is they have a backlog of $351 billion in contracts, according to the most recent 10Q filing. Their earnings uh, this quarter seem to be moving in the right direction as well when compared to 2021. So revenue was mainly flat at about $16.7 billion, but they did have positive operating income, a margin of 4.6% uh, of $774 million. This was down from a 6% operating uh, margin last year's quarter, but an operating margin, nonetheless, right? Uh, profits were 160 million this quarter, uh, down from 567 million last year's quarter. But what's important to me, and I think what's really interesting in this sort of tell-all story of, of Boeing and this sort of deep dive of, of analysis, is their operating cash flow came in at a positive 81 million dollars, which was up from a negative 483 million in last year's quarter. So this quarter's free cash flow burn was better than expected, coming in as positive for this quarter. Uh, but despite that, the defense business segment disappointed with lower volumes, weaker margins, and a decline in backlog. Um, we've got some headwinds uh, and around that that defense area. But what's cool is if you go read through the transcript, you'll, you'll see their CFO talk about wanting to be and, and sort of committing to be free cash flow positive for this year, and even have higher free cash flow positive um, free cash flows in 2023. So. Those are some cool things to be excited about with Boeing. But what about the other side? What are some reasons to be on the sidelines or, or even skeptical about this company, this $85 billion company? There's still a lot of uncertainty. There's a ton of uncertainty right now with Boeing. Sure, they're getting to the free positive, uh, positive free cash flow uh, this year and even higher next year. But according to their CFO, that's assuming all things go right with the supply chain production systems, delivery stability, 373, I'm sorry, 737 and uh, 787 delivery ramps, uh, successful execution and certification of development programs, and the commercial market continuing to move up uh, with a massive recovery. Uh, That's a lot of things that have to go right for this company to continue their road to free cash flow positive 2022 and 2023. And I think what's interesting to mention, too, and and I think uh, Daniel and Josh might have something to show here, but Boeing is actually really susceptible of international tensions right now, uh, of which I I think could could possibly get worse in the coming months and years. Um, China actually was saying that they don't want to buy their Boeing aircrafts anymore. And uh, that's a little bit because of what was going on with Taiwan. And so now Boeing is sort of remarketing these aircrafts to other people around the world. China makes up a lot of their revenue. Um, so things to be skeptical about there. And we'll dive into that a little bit deeper. But if you're on the positive side, you're excited about Boeing and, and want to find a case to invest in this company, let me tell you, I think what could be interesting and is a good observation from my perspective um, Again, I'm not a betting man, except when it comes to call options and put options on, the, uh, <laughs> on a day like today. Um, but it's obvious that free cash flow per share is the main driver for this company's stock price. We saw the stock price go absolutely parabolic between the years of 2016 and 2018, and that's because their free cash flow per share went from 1055 to 23.33. More than doubled, right? Incredible. Yeah. Right now, they're on track to do maybe a dollar or so in free cash flow per share for this year, uh, which is up from negative past several years, right? A couple of years. Uh, but it looks to be in 2023 that the number is going to jump to 1250 per share. And in 2024, Wall Street's guiding to $21 in free cash flow per share, right? So that is sort of a parabolic growth in free cash flow per share that could positively impact their stock price in the next, call it, 18 to 24 months, right? So I'm not saying... Boeing stock's going to go parabolic and the prime to go crazy and, and, and this don't you know, jump in, right. It's not financial advice. I'm just kind of showing my perspective here. It's so, it's so hard also to forecast so far into the future. Who knows if it's going to be 21, who knows if, if it's going to be 1250 next year, but if Boeing stock does go to this 20 plus, uh, Dollars per share in free cash flow in the next 18 to 24 months, then I would imagine their stock price would uh, would follow. Daniel, what are your thoughts here on on sort of this uncertainty going on with the China sales, as well as maybe their their ramp for free cash flow uh, positivity next year?
0: Yeah, let's dive into it. I mean, that was you set it up perfectly. You. Dove right in, bull side, bear side. Let's talk about Boeing, right? We're all here. It's, uh, it's around one hundred forty-seven dollars a share right now. It's it's one of the stocks that's in the Dow thirty. If you know, if that's the index that you like to follow, it's been around forever. It's it's based out of Chicago, Illinois, and it was incorporated in nineteen sixteen. Actually, I was looking that up. Um, so as you mentioned, the government is a reoccurring business. That's Klein, as you know, with all the military stuff they do, the satellites, the 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 um the capsules that they've been shooting up to the space station. I mean, Boeing's everywhere, right? Um, So let's go ahead and take a look at the Seeking Alpha side of things. Josh, let's go ahead and throw up that first slide um, about the rating summary like we always like to look at. The Seeking Alpha authors that have been writing about Boeing are currently a hold on the stock. Kind of in line with what you're talking about, there's a little bit of uncertainty with the company going forward. I mean, as you mentioned, the COVID crash hit, but then also the 737 Max stuff has been dragging on them. The FAA problems of the safety over and over and over again. Um, This stock just hasn't been able to catch a break. The company had to drain their cash just to keep going. I mean, they they had a bunch of orders cut. Now they're getting those back. Wall Street is a strong buy on it. Um, I like to ask everybody what their time horizon is for that. Um, and the quant system is currently a hold with all the metrics underlying the company. I think we're all still waiting to see about the free cash positive side of things that you mentioned. Let's go to the next slide, Josh. Factor great breakdown, real quick. I um, will just want to point out EPS revisions are improving. Um, you know, that is something that might give us a little bit of hope. Momentum of the stock price is improving. Profitability is just horrible right now. They've got to work on that, which I know that's a big focus of management. Um, growth is kind of stagnant. It's kind of hard to grow when you're a company that, you know, it takes so long to make one of your products and get a delivered uh, valuation, of course, D-minus. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Just to point out, this is the full breakdown of Wall Street analysts and the Seeking Alpha authors and how you can see how they're broken out. Um, It's 12 analysts out on the street are saying this is a strong buy. It might be, depends on your time horizon, depends on where we go from here. There's a like, I mean, I just got to go back the uncertainty about China, which we'll get to at the very end. Um, but I, I, as I was researching this, uh, Bespoke put out a very interesting tweet. I think it was just yesterday that I stumbled across just by happenstance. Uh, let's go to the next slide, Josh, so everybody can see this. It says 41% of Russell 1000 stocks are now down from the pre-pandemic high and 20% are down 20% of the biggest loser There's representation from every sector except energy. Boeing and Intel are down the most at negative 56%. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I think I I blew it up a little bit so everybody can see this. So this is the change since February 19th, 2020, right before the pandemic, the pre-pandemic high, right? Um, This stock has just absolutely gotten crushed. It had a huge run up with all the free cash flow, positive and everything like you were talking about. Um, and this stock was just the worst hit, worse than Intel. Let that sink in, right? Um, not a good look, but also is this an opportunity? That's where you want to be thinking. Okay, this stock has been pulled back, it's been stable for over a hundred years in this stock market. Um, it is weathered the storm time and time again. Uh, the competition, as you mentioned, you think about Airbus and the commercial sector, and that's where I want to go is commercial airlines. So what is what is the, the next thing that can drive the growth of this company? Well, next slide, Josh. Let's show everybody. This is pulled directly from their earnings report that they just put out not too long ago. Um, this is what, and this is their own data. So keep that in mind. This is what they are saying that the new airplane demand for the next 20 years will be and where it's going to come from. Um, obviously, Asia Pacific might get hit. If this China and Taiwan stuff happens, that might get hit. Something to keep in mind. North America, Europe, China. Oh, sorry. China's there as well. Uh, Middle East, Latin America, and Africa. So obviously freighters, not really big. I mean, cargo planes, they do that. Yes, that's very much, you know, think about the FedExes that buy from them and the things like that. But with FedEx's pre-announcement, I mean, they're probably pulling back on purchase orders at this time. Wide body, single aisle is their biggest seller, right? So just something to keep in mind. There is a potential... For a long runway of growth what's your time horizon um <laughs> next slide now i gotta this is this is hilarious to me actually you remember these little things called floppy disk awesome actually remember it's really those? funny you
2: mentioned that because i had someone um my girlfriend's a couple years younger than me and i was saving something on like a microsoft word and i don't know if you remember this but you, you can go into save something and the the actual saving icon is a floppy disk And she asked me, she says, what is this? Why is it shaped like that? I don't understand. What does it have to do with saving something? I was like, oh my God, I'm getting old. These are floppy disks, babe. What are you
0: talking about? (laughs) Mm, Got to let her know. But let me put it this way. 1.44 megabytes. That was your average space on a floppy disk, Mm. right? Like Mm -hmm. floppy disks are so outdated. Yet the last man, apparently, I think this was from Business Insider, if I remember correctly, Tom Persky. This guy sells floppy disks to people at floppy disk.com. I just want to point out here in this article, says, my biggest customers and the place where most of the money comes from are the industrial user, users. These are the people who use disk as a way to get information in and out of a machine. Imagine it's 1990 and you're building a big industrial machine, one kind or another. You design it to last 50 years and you want to use the best technology available. Next slide, Josh. Take the airline industry, for example. Probably half of the air fleet in the world today is more than 20 years old and still uses floppy disks and some of the avionics. That's a huge customer for him, which, I mean, come on. You haven't had innovation in the airline industry? I mean, I'm sure, hopefully Airbus and, I mean, these other guys. Hard drives are like the size. Think, Take it like a micro SD card, right? That People put in their phones and stuff. Those things are a terabyte now. Like You're telling me that you can't design and innovate the airplane and like dramatically scale down everything. Um, I thought this was just hilarious. I mean, obviously that last little segment talks about how finally Japan's digital agency is saying, all right, let's shift off a floppy disk. I mean, how is this the line? I I mean, that doesn't go into the Boeing thing. It's just good for this guy for supplying the floppy disk to the airline industry. But it kind of tells me that There will be innovation if it hasn't already occurred and people are going to continue to buy newer airplanes. Other airplanes eventually will get sold to the other side or a different customer as as companies continue to buy new planes. Um, There's there's a long runway and a long need for airplanes and Boeing is that company that can pull it off. Um, So let's go ahead and go back into the next slide. uh, Actually, Josh. So another thing to think about, They captured orders for 169 737 MAX airplanes and 13 freighters. They secured 200 plus orders and commitments at the Farmborough Air Show. They have a backlog of over 4,200 airplanes valued at $297 billion. So as long as those don't disappear, um, Josh having a little tech issue. That's all right, Josh. So as long as they don't have any of these customers start canceling their orders, they should be good for the, the long-term. Um, now, cash and debt balances, as you mentioned, they still expect to be positive free cash flow. That is a big thing that they want to really uh, drive home to the shareholders, that that is their focus. They are working on it. They are scaling to it. Keep that in mind. So at $147 a share, is this where you get in? I don't know. Maybe. I would personally maybe like to see a pullback to 136 or 120 And let me show you why I say that. We're going to go right to the charts real quick. We're going to say those are some
2: very specific numbers there, Daniel. Very specific.
0: Not to mention, here's the whole gap that we had. Um, Obviously, I say 80% of the time gap fills. We don't know how long it might take, but this one did fill over here on Boeing. So now I'm going into the near-term time horizon. Since we're talking about short-term stuff going on right now in this turbulent market. So... Why am I saying 136? Well, I've got the 61.8 Fibonacci here at 135.38. And then below that, I have a gap down here below the market at 122. So those are kind of some levels that I would be looking for if this is going to be one of those stocks that gets hit. But if we're looking to the upside, there is a gap because there's a gap across the entire market pretty much from the CPI day day where that could take us up to about 157. But long-term, I just want to zoom out to the max monthly. Look at this. I mean, so this stock used to be low of 747. This was back in, what is that? Uh, 1988, I believe. Um, but here's the rip-roar, the the parabolic move that you had mentioned. I mean, look at that. If you were in this stock and you held on and all these dividend payments that you were getting along the way, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. was, I mean, a massive move of 500% uh, pretty much. I mean, that was over 2,251 days, so that's what, 300, 400 divided into that, but five years maybe, somewhere close around that. Um, question is, can they do it again, right? Can they pull this off again? But on the monthly, I wanted to point this out. We are seeing this price find some serious resistance right here at the 200 average. So what does that tell me? Institutions are probably buying. I mean, this is probably why Wall Street has a strong buy on the stock, but- That's my take from the charts perspective. I want to ask Mike Saul if he'll jump back on and give us his take on the charts. Let me see if I can pull it up. I'm not sure Josh is back with us yet.
2: While you do that, Daniel, I just want to put some more context on that parabolic move that had happened Um, from a free cash flow per share perspective. You know, we saw it go from in 2013 around $8 Eight dollars to nine dollars the next year, ten dollars the next year. Very, you know, kind of sequential here. And then in 2016 we went to twelve thirty-eight, and then in 2017 that popped to nineteen dollars, and then in 2018 that popped to twenty-three and a half dollars. Right. So it was it was a very big move up there. That's since come down in 2020. It was negative thirty-five bucks last year it was negative seven and a half. So we'll see what happens here pretty soon. But excited to see Mike's uh, feedback on the charts.
0: Yeah. And real quick, before we get to Mike, because Josh is back, um, I just want to mention, too, this company does not pay a dividend right now. It used to. They were growing the dividend like crazy. But my guess is if they get back to this free cash flow positive, um, you know, kind of side of things that they want to get to, which I think would be great for shareholders and the company themselves, I would expect a dividend to get reinstated. That's just my personal take. That's my opinion. Um, Don't bank on it, but that's what I would think would happen. So I I hear Josh is back with us now. So, Mike, what do we have on the charts?
1: Well, I have two charts to look at today, the daily chart and the weekly chart of Boeing. And uh, the daily chart doesn't really look um, very good. Looks, uh, we came up off of the June lows. We tagged the high into August. And now we're sitting right at the 50% mark. We have a really strong 200-day moving average slope to the downside. That means the longer-term trend is down. The 50-day has flattened out a little bit. But overall, I mean, we're getting a little bit of a bounce here. But we're not doing much. If we go to the next chart, which is the weekly chart, I mean, this is just ugly, right? Ugly off the highs in 2019, Ah, uh, the COVID lows are 89. Remember, this was already in decline before COVID hit. It accelerated after COVID hit. It got what is known as a dead rat bounce. I don't like calling them dead cat bounces because, you know, cats. Are you are a cat guy? No, I I'm allergic. I'm definitely allergic to them. But um, I think that they're you know they're nice. A lot of people like them, but nobody really likes a rat, right? So we'll call them dead rat bounces, but. Uh, Anyway, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. Anyway, you could see here we got the – this is a weekly chart, by the way, so each one of these candles represents a full week. We got the bounce up into the 2021 high, and then here's what I'm looking at. So you talk about Fibonacci retracements all the time. This is a setting that I like to use. It's a 78.6% retracement, and if we break that retracement to the downside, Okay, we can remount it and we can try whatever, but the first time we break through it, which we did on this little cluster right here, the next time through, I'm expecting this to come down and test that 89 level. So it's got, in my opinion, from a technical perspective, and I didn't go, of course, I'm not going anywhere close to as deep as what you and Austin did on the fundamental side, right? I'll. Yeah, here's my fundamental take. They make planes. Right, that's about <laughs> it. Right? I, I'm not, I, I'm not digging. What you're known it. for? Yeah, I'm not digging into all the uh, all the other goods. And they've been around a long time. But again, you know, is this a commentary or an opinion on the travel industry? Like, oh, does that mean if Boeing isn't going, to, does that mean we're going to get an economic slowdown? Does that mean we're not going to have as much travel anymore? I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not really into that because. We haven't really been bouncing with Boeing, and travel's picked up huge, right, once COVID's calmed down. right? Everybody's traveling, but you hear all the reports about the the airports being crowded, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just looking at a total chart view, and to me, it looks like this is going lower, and if we break this green line one more time, which I should have had this number better, but it looks, what does it look to be, 129 and change, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the zone. If we break through that, I'm looking for a move down to 89. And again, since this is a weekly chart, right? This isn't like, oh, look what happened in a couple of days. No, this big move took a month. This whole move took uh, took many months to get up there. And now it's rolling over. It's taking many months. So to me... You know, I'm not saying, oh, it's going to get there tomorrow. It's going to be at 89 tomorrow, Austin. You better buy your puts, right? No, I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm saying that eventually, and like I always like to say, I don't know how many hours, days, weeks, months, years are in it eventually, right? Nobody has that definition. But I believe that before this goes much higher, right, doesn't mean we can't bounce in the meantime, doesn't mean we can't consolidate for a little, but before we get into a fresh uptrend, I think we're going to 89 first. That's my technical view. Wow. I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. 89.
0: That would be something. So the thing that I just thought about too, and I'd love to hear your thoughts is like, they serve, one of their biggest customers is the U.S. government, right? Mm -hmm. They're servicing jets. They're they're creating jets. They're, They're right in where they need to be in order to keep the U.S. government as a client. So it's like, if that's the case, if they were to fail as a company, hypothetically, who would actually take their place? Get what I'm saying? Because yeah. the U.S. government, you... the US government likes to make sure that the businesses we are working with on a military front are U.S. companies, right? Everything right. is made in the U.S. It is, you know, probably all the way down to the microchips, right? They want to make sure that there's no weird technology stuff going on for tracking and gps and all these things so it has to be u.s focused and boeing is a u.s company
2: yeah to the point that john made here in the chat about airbus you know they're based out of the the netherlands i'm not too familiar with the company airbus Uh, again i'm not really like the aerospace stocks and so i was like awesome go check out boeing i'm like man i've actually never thought about checking out boeing so i'm sure i missed a lot but um yeah to to daniel's point you're, you're right on the money there i mean there's I can't think of anyone else that would be able to service, design, develop, like do any of the stuff that Boeing's doing for the U.S. government, um, you know, from a defensive perspective.
1: Right. But but my, my you know, counter to that is, okay, I mean, I'm pulling up the chart live on, on my end, sorry, but I'm, I'm, you know, okay, but that's been the case for, you know, decades, years. How come the stock isn't at 2 million by now? Well, you know, like once again, Daniel, you always say this too, right? Is the stock is separate from the company, right? The stock can still go down, and the company can still have government contracts, and 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 it still could be the producer. But I mean, look, that eighty nine number. I mean, that's where we were back in. I'm looking now, 2016. So, and you know, then we were again back in 2020, right? So, um, but I'm saying it, it's not really like oh, you know, that would be really horrible. I mean, we're officially, if you're using the 20% down number, where we've officially been in a bear market for a while with this, although I guess we came out of it with the the bounce off the initial 89, right? But uh, we're back in a bear market officially, right? So, yeah, again, I, I know, I mean, it's a pretty... I'm not in any puts I'm not short the stock so I have no
2: yeah by the way just full disclosure to that yeah. point Mike I'm not touching this thing I it's you know one side we've got these Chinese things that are happening you got a CFO talking about free cash flow per share positivity we got Mike over here saying the stock's going to eighty nine potentially like I'm there's way too much for me to to even want to approach this company I'm just glad that whenever I need to go buy a plane to Florida or buy a ticket on a plane to Florida that 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 we've got some plans direct
1: right and yeah. So I I don't know and and you know the the one thing that Daniel said that that always gets my contrarian which I'm just a walking contrarian right I, I'm looking for the other side of everything but is that okay Well, what's the U.S. going to do? Like you know they, they you know who are they going to go to? They have to keep basically keep bowling around right to make the you know I mean what if they take them private? What if something? What if something else happens? Right? I you know it's like I'm always looking at. I just hate these statements like like I hate the Tina statement, right? There is no alternative, which is basically where we're at now because where are they going to go? Right? Where the, where where are they going to go to get the planes built, right? And that to me scares me because in my opinion what I have learned in life is there's always an alternative somewhere, right? So right. I don't know what it is, though. I'm not smart. I'm not saying that, oh, don't worry, they're not going to do that. They're going to eventually open up and let foreign uh, builders come in. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not smart enough to to say any of that stuff. But my paranoia being born and bred in New York City, I guess, is just keeping me on the contrarian side of things. So anyway, that's. That's what I have to
0: say about that. Uh, It's a great point. And guys, I mean, gents, that's what Seeking Off is all about. We're here to take the different perspectives and the different viewpoints and debate them back and forth. And whether we agree or not, that's what we're here to do, right? Tell you why would you might be bullish? Why would you potentially be bearish? Now, before we get out of here, because it is one o'clock already, time is flying. I do want to highlight that we shared last week, Austin Hankwitz. Is on Seeking Alpha as an author. If you are not following him already, follow him. I mean, he is already in the comments of the people of this Dutch Bros article that we pointed out. He is interacting. We listen to your feedback. We read the comments. We read your emails. Also, we have Stock Market Live on Seeking Alpha. If you want to catch every article and every episode that we've done, it is now up here. There's transcripts. It is on podcasts. You can follow, subscribe, give us a rating, all the things. Let's see, what else am I missing right now? I know we got the FOMC here in an hour. Or sorry, hour and a half. Powell will be speaking. All eyes will be on that. Oh,
2: next stock. What would we analyzing next week?
0: That is a great question. We got to ask the people. So yeah. if you have a stock idea, you can either leave it in the chat right now that we can look into it next week or Josh go ahead and throw up that last slide like we like to do. If you want to, you can send it to us at at stockmarketliveatseekingalpha.com. You can reach out to us. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find Austin on LinkedIn and Seeking Alpha and Twitter. You can find Mike Saul through his email right there, michaelsseekingalpha.com. And just a disclaimer, again, all opinions are our own and should not be viewed as an investment advice. We are getting a lot of recommendations right here in the chat. I love this. Look at how the stock ticker's I forgot coming about in. that
2: company. Maybe I need to look, look into General Caterpillar.
0: General Electric, Berkshire. Oh, my goodness. All right. We got our... Uh, we got some homework to do. We got Micron in here. All right. We're going to have to space these out a little bit, but you guys join us every week. We love that you're here. We're going to go ahead and get a little jams. get on out of here. Do you guys have anything to say before we go?
2: Yeah, maybe. Let's, let's consider, too, you know, I do all this, a uh, little bit of research beforehand. Um, I think you guys are publishing these transcripts, but I wonder if there's another way we, we may be able to add some color and some value to the people listening uh, to, to send them maybe a direct uh, notes that I've taken or, or something of that nature to, to help them with their research as they continue to be curious and think about, um, you know, our perspectives.
0: Yeah, would you guys appreciate that? Let us know in the chat box. You guys want to have a copy of the slide deck that we put together with the ratings and the factor grades and all the research we do. Um, let us know right now. Jump in the chat before we get on out of here. We appreciate everybody, of course, showing up again with us today. Alfonso, Austin, Christian, T, Taha, Sammy. Sammy's back. We love Sammy in the chat. Ziv, we see all of you. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Mike Saul, we appreciate you joining us again, as always. People love you so you. Much,
1: guys. Hold awesome on, let me again. see who
0: was that that said Mike Saul is a great addition to the webinar. That was Anna. Thank you, Anna, for saying Mike Saul. If you don't want if you want more of Mike Saul, you know where to find him. You want me to tell him what? where to find him?
1: Yeah, tell him Mondays, 12 o'clock. Mondays, it's happening in the stock market. Great
0: 12 p.m. Eastern time. Mike Saul, he is there to give you the market overview and answer all your questions. Austin, anything from you before we get on out of here? I'm good. I'll see you all next week. All right, we'll see you next week, 12 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, Stock Market Live. Josh, get us on out of here.